Hello, dear listener. Thank you so much for spending time with us again. Or if this is your first time listening, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your trust. Hopefully, you're going to enjoy the episode. We're back. Gabriel is here. Cinematic Ventures Podcast. So for this episode, I I really wanted to make it a bit more special. And again, it's it's an off-the-cuff episode. I didn't create a, a, a script for it. I, I just have my notes here. So there's going to be a lot of uh, back and forth <laughs> on, on certain movies, just jumping over time, all of this. So if it's a little bit all over the place, I apologize in advance. But as I've said it before, I want these episodes to be like a conversation, like you would speak to someone on a table at a bar discussing cinema, discussing Uh, Cinema appreciation, filmmakers, all of the stuff that we like about movies and cinema. And filmmaking, of course. So for this episode, I chose, in my opinion, one of the most eclectic and interesting filmmakers that we have. And it's incredible. It's mind-boggling that even at 85 currently, he is working more than, honestly, most other filmmakers who are half his age. So, I'm talking about Ridley Scott, and just a week ago, he released another one of his epics, Napoleon. And I still haven't seen Napoleon, so I can't really talk about the movie uh, specifically, but I have no doubt that it's a spectacular production uh, in terms of just filmmaking. Uh, the cast and crew, he again works with Darius Walski, the, the amazing DP that I've been a huge fan of for years at this point. He does work with a new composer on this one, but again, this will be uh, for, for an episode when uh, I actually see the movie. For this episode, I really just want to do a quick overview and just to remind people who maybe take Scott a little bit for granted, or like he's just out there existing as a filmmaker, I really want to just remind all of the listeners of how truly eclectic and how truly bold of a filmmaker he is. Now, opinions are opinions. I'm sure that every movie that I would mention, you would hear thousands of different opinions. Some people like them, others don't like them. Obviously, in this case, as it is always with Cinematic Ventures, we are all about balance. We're trying to appreciate, and everything that I mention is my own opinion. So if you have a different opinion, you want to you wanna add more to the discussion, you can let me know in the comments. I'm absolutely willing to do more than one episode on Ridley Scott, because I think he deserves it. So even starting from, from his very first movie, 1977, The Duelists, uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of movie, especially when it comes to Scott and compared to his other much more popular movies that not a lot of people have seen The Duelist. Now, I'm not going to do a review on each one of his movies. I would just go through his filmography, offering my thoughts and just hopefully reminding some of you, dear listeners, to check some of his other movies because I'm sure there will be a movie where you will go, oh, I haven't seen this one. Oh, this is Ridley Scott? He did that movie? Oh. So that's my 
goal with this episode to shine a little bit of light on on uh, some of the movies that he he had made. Obviously, we all know Gladiator. We all know the big popular ones, Blade Runner, Alien, and uh, they're all great movies, no doubt. But uh, there are also a lot of movies that deserve uh, much more recognition. So we're going to go over that. So, of course, starting with 1979, Alien. Truly a movie that just, uh, it's a trendsetter, as we can, uh, as young people call it. <laughs> truly a trendsetter, truly a, a groundbreaking movie. And uh, anything that I say, people have already said it multiple times. And even the criticism, you'll, you'll hear critics, right, complaining about it, certain stuff about the movie. Fair enough. We're not here to judge. Everyone has a different opinion. But fact of the matter is, this is a successful movie and really, really established, truly an incredible, uh, incredible style, incredible handling and incredible, I would say, confidence when it comes to really. And this is not surprising. Uh, it's not like this is the first time he ever held a camera. He clearly had experience. And obviously after that, we have uh, Blade Runner. But I just want to focus a little bit on the people who worked with Ridley on the first Alien. So I want to focus on Derek Van Lind, which is the DP of the first Alien. And truly the interesting situation with him because cinematically, visually, DP-wise, cinematography-wise, Alien is just gorgeous. It's incredibly well shot and it's just visually stunning movie and even when you watch it now so many years later it holds up as people say visually it's just amazing the opening shots are just so creepy so arresting no no matter how many times how many times i watch the uh the opening of alien i just get goosebumps it's so good and obviously a lot of credit to uh, derek Derek Van Lind. Now, the thing is, he didn't really end up, for whatever reason, I don't have uh, inside info on this one, but uh, whether it's a personal decision or circumstances could be anything, but he didn't really, quote-unquote, explode it after uh, Alien for whatever reason. And that really kind of made me sad because watching Alien, just the visual style of the movie, the camera work is just spectacular. And... That's all I really want to say about this specific situation is I would would have loved to see more from uh, Derek in terms of cinematography. But even with even if it's just this one movie in his filmography, like it's only Alien, it's still an amazing accomplishment. So thank you, Derek. And uh, I know he passed away a few years ago. So uh, rest in peace, Derek. You're uh, you are definitely missed and your work will Stay forever with us. So the next one, obviously, on the list, we go to Blade Runner. Another one that's, it's it's very interesting how the movie kind of entered popular culture. And it's one of those movies, believe it or not. And again, it's just anecdotal evidence. I haven't really done like an official research. But from my own experience, it's one of those movies that more people know about it than actually people who have actually seen the whole movie. 
So it's kind of like, oh, I know these shots, or I know the name, or I know these these specific images, right? Like uh, the opening shots. But it's one of those movies that um, I believe deserves much more appreciation because yes, it, it is popular, it is classic. They even made a sequel, so it's not like it's a, it's an underrated movie. I just think that if you're a listener right now, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't seen Blade Runner because you know about it, you've heard of it, you've seen bits and pieces on YouTube, images, but you haven't seen it, my advice is check it out. It is, it's a, it's a kind of a slow burner. It's compared to the movies of today. It's kind of, it could be a little bit of depressing even, but it's a movie that whether you will like or not, you will certainly appreciate the effort that they put in. And you can also see the influence that this movie has on other movies. Because some of the elements that you would see in Blade Runner, you'll be like, oh, this sounds familiar. Well, it's familiar because movies that came out after Blade Runner. And remember, Blade Runner came, came out in 1982. So there are a lot of sci-fi movies uh, that, that followed it. And a lot of them, they borrowed ideas from Blade Runner. So I would definitely encourage you to check it out if you haven't seen it. Again, I know it's popular. I know people talk about it. But it's one of those movies that it is popular. But I still believe there are a lot of people who actually have not seen the whole thing from beginning to end. Like, Great Blu-ray quality. If you can watch it on Blu-ray with a great surround sound system, it'll be awesome. I'm sure you will appreciate it. Now, I want us to jump on uh, several movies ahead. Obviously, we have in 1985, Legend with Tom Cruise, Someone to Watch Over Me, uh, another underrated Ridley Scott movie. And in 1989, we have Black Rain, which is, I think, the first case the first example of how how eclectic Ridley can be as a filmmaker, because when you watch Black Rain, it it doesn't look, it doesn't sound like Alien or Blade Runner. Obviously, it's a different genre, but the very fact that Ridley did not end up just making these types of uh, science fiction movies and all of that, he tried to branch out and. Again, if you ask him, he did a lot of interviews uh, around Napoleon these days. I'm sure he would say that a lot of it has to do with the reaction for uh, the critical and audience reaction for Blade Runner. And uh, uh, maybe this was a, a way of him to try something new, right? Because he was so burned out by the reaction, by the underperformance of Blade Runner. And uh, it's it's another example of how a movie can completely underperform, especially financially, right? Critical reviews, it's one thing, but if a movie fails financially, that could be that could be a big problem for a major studio picture. So he was definitely, definitely affected by the uh, the unfortunate box office performance of Blade Runner. So it definitely affected him. So I think his choices following that for the next few years are dictated. So, Black Rain, Michael Douglas, uh, obviously a very exotic movie, right? And it's a movie that I personally did not see for so many years. I remember seeing it 
like a poster of it, commercials, but I, I never really ended up watching it. Uh, and that, of course, changed a few years ago. I was able to watch it on Blu-ray and I really, really loved it. Again, this is not a review. This is not a review of the movie. It's just me mentioning that Black Rain, 1989, it is a Ridley Scott movie. And if you want to see something different from Ridley, definitely check it out. Check out Legend as well, even though... These are movies, Legend, you have Tom Cruise uh, in 85. It's another movie that underperformed. And that's the thing with uh, another one of the great things about Ridley as a filmmaker, that he would have ups and downs in terms of, again, not quality. I'm not talking about quality because quality is subjective. You can have people who like it. You can have people uh, who don't like it, completely subjective. We're talking about specifically the thing that, for better or worse, matters the most in Hollywood and the Hollywood machine. And it's box office, money, revenue. So he had some ups and downs. Movies that performed really well and other movies that did not perform really well. So in the 80s, in the, in the the at the end of the 80s, he had some uh, ups and downs. But then, after Black Rain, and again, I want to make, make it clear. Uh, Black Rain is, or was, <laughs> a success. It actually made, I believe the budget was around $30 million, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and it made over $130 million worldwide. For that kind of a movie, that's actually a very decent performance. So, this is 1989, and 91, we have something of a, like a generational type of success of a movie in terms of influence, in terms of uh, pop culture influence. And, of course, I'm talking about Thelma and Louise. Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon, Brad Pitt, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel. Just an incredible, incredible cast. And another one of those types of movies that, despite its success, I would say, especially now with uh, with Gen Z, as, as they call it. Uh, I'm a millennial, so uh, I, was, <laughs> I was just a child. I was very little. When that movie came out. But we all know of it. We all, even if you have never seen the movie, you know Thelma and Louise. It's been spoofed. It's been parodied in so many movies. It's just, it's one of those movies just like Alien and Blade Runner that uh, really created that it's part of pop culture. And for whatever reason though, for example, you have uh, filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, who I really like as well. But you see Nolan's name first and foremost every single time people talk about his movies. You don't see that with Ridley Scott, unfortunately. And that's what I want not to change. I can't change the perception. I can't change the whole world. But uh, just to give a little bit of credit because Ridley deserves it. And yes, you have the great cast of Thelma and Louise and all of that. But it's still a Ridley Scott movie. And... He made it the way it is, so powerful, so memorable. Obviously, you have the screenplay, you have the incredible score by Hans Zimmer, which is uh, another thing that I really appreciate is uh, Ridley and Tony Scott, both of them, they kind of are, I wouldn't say the reason that we have Hans Zimmer, the way we are now, like the Hans Zimmer we know and love, but with their movies, he really was able to establish his sound when you look back, right? I'm going to have an episode on Hans and his incredible filmography. 
But uh, this is one of the things that I personally really enjoyed about Thelma and Louise. I, I enjoyed the movie. I really liked it. It was one of those movies that, for years, as a guy who grew up on action movies, I was like, uh, this is a female kind of movie, right? Not really for me. I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it. So I was um, like putting it on the side for a while. But eventually, uh, years and years ago, I decided to watch it, watch it on DVD for the first time. And I absolutely loved it. The ending is just incredible. The music, that ending cue piece of score by Hans, it just elevates the whole piece. It really makes the movie as memorable as it is. Everything else works, of course. But the music for me, it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites, course, just ever, of Hans. So this is one of those movies, I believe, that uh, it is popular. People know about it. People have heard the name. But I think more people should see. So again, if you're a listener, you haven't seen Thelma and Louise, or it's been years or decades since you last saw it, Try it. Watch it. If you have a Blu-ray, if you have a great TV, just watch it on the best uh, possible screen and you will appreciate it. You will see that there is a reason why this movie is so popular. So that's Tell Me Louise. The following year, actually, 1992, we have Conquest of Paradise, which... I don't really have it right in front of me. Uh, I don't think it's a fully like a Hollywood studio production. I believe it's like a co-production or even independent production by independent companies from uh, from Europe. But obviously, it's uh, uh, it's a movie that, in my opinion, and it's been said many times, it's incredibly underrated. It's a very ambitious movie. It's a very difficult movie to make. Just watching it, when you see where they are, the conditions, it's incredible. It's just, 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 just. It's, it's such a feat of filmmaking, and it's it's one of those movies that unfortunately a lot of people don't know about these days and don't even know that it's a Ridley Scott movie. Number one, you have the incredible cast. Gerard Depardieu, Armando Sante, Sigourney Weaver. Just, you have, it's an incredible cast. And in my opinion, a very powerful movie. Now, I was, again, very little when the movie came out. But I remember uh, in the years following that there was some sort of a backlash against casting uh, Depardieu as, uh, as uh, Christopher Columbus. So a lot of uh, a lot of discussion at the time, and unfortunately, the movie did not perform as expected. And it's a type of movie that even today, like in any time, doesn't matter. I don't think it would perform well. It's just a kind of movie that's it's it's violent, it's um, it's provocative, and it's it's a type of movie that people would appreciate years and years later. And that's something uh, that happens multiple times with Ridley. Movies that he would release that underperform, but years and years later, people discover, people start watching. And now, Conquest of Paradise, 1492, it did not end up being like the 
popular pop culture classic like uh, Blade Runner. But it's still a movie, especially, I would say, especially supported by this out-of-this-world incredible score by Vangelis. And I have a feeling that most, more pe most people actually know the score, but they don't know the movie. Uh, because it's such a such an incredible emotional such a uh, iconic sound that honestly in my opinion it's even uh, it's even better than the one for uh, Blade Runner which is still amazing I love it but Conquest of Paradise it's 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 stuck in my mind so if you've never seen the movie it's not an easy watch for sure not because it's not competently made it's it's an incredibly well-made movie but it, it's a movie that takes its time right uh there are some uh, historical accuracies that you if you want to argue about that you could go ahead i'm not here to uh, claim that this is a movie that students should learn in history class not at all this is a movie made for entertainment and in my opinion as a filmmaking piece as entertainment it works. I think Depardieu is very good in the main part. The music works, cinematography works, the ending of the movie. I just really, really love that movie. And this is another example of why I made Cinematic Ventures, this platform. I just want to shine some light on that movie. So if you've never seen it, Conquest of Paradise, give it a shot. Even if you're watching stills and pictures and from the movie and you're like, this is not my thing, right? Give it a shot. Watch the first few minutes, but try to watch it. I'm not sure if there's a Blu-ray release. I really am not. Uh, I'm, uh, I know there's a DVD release, so if you can get your hands on a DVD, I'm not sure if it's uh, available on a streamer, but give it a shot. It's one of those movies that was, uh, in my opinion, criminally underrated. And just because of the filmmaking efforts that went into it, I think it deserves uh, a bit more recognition. So that is Conquest of Paradise. Now, The White Squall came out actually about four years later. Ridley uh, took a little bit of a break because I assume, I've never really actually heard him discuss this, but uh, from what you can gather online, it was a difficult shoot for Conquest of Paradise. So clearly he needed... You need a little bit of break. Now, The White Squall is an interesting movie. It's one of those movies that, unfortunately, kind of went under the radar. You have Jeff Bridges. Uh, great cast, actually, of, uh, of young actors. You have Jeff Rana doing the score. And again, the movie came out. Uh, it came out, uh, I believe, in 96. And the budget was between 30 and 40. And unfortunately, it made around 10 million. So it's... Uh, it's a bit of a slump, unfortunately, and starting with The Conquest of Paradise. Basically, the overall view is that the 90s were not very, aside from Thelma and Louise at the start, the 90s were not very profitable, let's put it that way, for uh, release films. And uh, the next one, which is actually a popular movie following uh, White Squall, and again, I can spend a lot of time. Uh, it's not that I don't like White Squall, but I don't want to make this into a, like a five-hour episode, right? So I'm going to jump on uh, on movies that I believe uh, 
people know, like the next one, which is G.I. Jane. People know the movie, especially now it's it's part with a lot of memes following the infamous slap, uh, the Oscar slap that happened like a year ago. Was it a year? My God, time flies quickly. But you have, of course, Demi Moore, Viggo Mortensen, just an incredible, incredible cast. And this one came out in 97, which uh, Ridley did after, right after White Squall. And both movies, unfortunately, uh, underperformed, even though G.I. Jane is, is part of pop culture. Because when the movie was, before coming out, it was such a big deal. Demi was, in the 90s, she was like, this was the peak of her career. And it was all over the news. Again, I was like uh, a little boy when the movie came out. But I clearly remember magazine pictures on the news like, oh, Demi Moore, she's shaving her head uh, for this movie and all of that. So there was a lot of discussion about the movie before uh, coming out. Uh, I wish there was, uh, it was kind of uh, the same discussion, the same interest, if you will, for uh, White Squall, the movie, the Ridley movie before that. But unfortunately, White Squall is a movie that uh, most people have never even heard of, unfortunately. And even fewer people know it's a Ridley Scott movie. So check it out. Another one that's very, very underrated. And it's a, it's a survival movie. I don't want to spoil a lot, but if you have a chance... Give it a shot. It's one of those movies that is uh, utterly underrated. And I think it deserves a second look. I would say the exact same thing for G.I. Jane. Now, the movie is, as I mentioned, much more popular. It's, it's part of pop culture at this point. But when it came out, the budget, I believe, was uh, 50 or 40 million. It made like uh, worldwide, like 48 million, which obviously it's not good. Not good enough. But it's one of those movies that kind of um, gathered a little bit of more support, appreciation in the years to come, right? And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that people are discovering, especially now in this day and age where we live in a world where there's female empowerment, right? Uh, women are stepping up. Right, just proving that they can do stuff, not just uh, uh, done, not just everything done by the guy. Right, so this is a movie that kind of people have been reevaluating re in the last few years, and that's a good thing because personally, I really enjoyed the movie. I think it's a it's a it's a well made movie. Uh, it is a violent movie, yes, but the type of movie that I think people would appreciate years after it came out it's just there's no really an explanation we can look for reasons why a movie fails when it comes out oh was it marketing was it reviews was it audience reaction we can't really say usually it's a combination of things it's not just one thing it's always a combination of things box office is very unpredictable thing is the movie came out and it was 97 there were a lot of huge movies it was a, it was a huge year for uh, for Hollywood movies, so in a way that was just uh, in in the background, GI uh, Jane. It just was just left in the background. You have Titanic, you have Men in Black, you have Jurassic Park too. 
So a lot of movies that just suck the oxygen. And in 97 and beginning of 98, honestly, it was just Titanic. Like it sucked the oxygen out of the room for literally everything else. So G.I. Jane, I'm sure you know about it. I'm sure you've heard of it. But if you haven't seen it, again, I would urge you to check it out if you haven't seen it. It's a movie that it's uh, well-made. I think with good intentions, the actors are doing a good job and uh, maybe it, it won't be your favorite movie of all time, but as film fans, I believe you will appreciate the efforts that Ridley and his team put into it. Now, following G.I. Jane, Ridley was, took about two years off in terms of directing and that's when... The, I would say, the Ridley Scott that people know nowadays. And uh, I'm very happy that this change happened because right in 2000, Ridley, as we all know, everyone knows, created Gladiator. Now, whatever we say about Gladiator, people have said it multiple times. Obviously, huge success and like a huge, people really saw it, including me, uh, really saw it as a huge comeback and, and a well-deserved comeback for Ridley in terms of success, right? Because if you like his previous movies, you would be like, well, he never really went anywhere. He He's still here. It's just that his movies were not as successful as they could have or should have been. But he's always been around. Of course, the masses the mainstream media for them, it was Gladiator. That was really, and I'm sure Ridley would also agree with that, that this was a really uh, a turning point in, in his career because this is a movie that he had never made before. When you look back on his filmography, this is like an ancient sword and sandal type of movie, and it was a huge, huge risk, huge risk. Now, thankfully, this was supported by major studios. It was a DreamWorks production, uh, a hefty budget, but still a risk, still a risk, because this type of movie, it hasn't been done in the 90s. You didn't really see these types of movies, so a huge risk, right? Uh, people were like, is this going to be uh, like a disaster or another Ben Hoare? Like, no one knew, but when the movie came out and... I have, I have some good memories when the movie came out. I actually didn't see it in a movie theater. I regretted that. But I was like 14 or something when the movie came out. But it's a kind of movie that people love, people talk about. Obviously, it won a bunch of Oscars as well. It was a, it was a success. It made like uh, half a billion worldwide. And last but not least, you have the Hans Zimmer score. I would say this was this was also a year that was transformative her for Hans, and in his career because that was the movie that people, and I'm very happy for uh, for uh, for Hans and just film music in general because I'm a film music fan. And when this came out, Gladiator, obviously it's it's uh, it's a movie that I really like. It just works on every level. Powerful movie, great story. Ridley just knocks it out of the park. It's an incredible, incredible uh, uh, piece of filmmaking. 
But the score by Hans, it just elevated the whole piece to a completely new level. And it's it's still one of the most popular, if not the most popular, Hans Zimmer score, honestly. There are a lot, there are a lot of other Zimmer scores that I really also like. But uh, in terms of ordinary listeners, people on YouTube, Gladiator is like top-notch for them. And rightfully so. It's an incredible, incredible piece of, uh, of uh, film scoring. And I think it's one of the reasons why uh, the movie was so successful. Kind of like Titanic. The music, James Horner, like it, it, it just elevates the whole piece. Everything else works. You, you can't undermine anything else. But the music is like the cherry on the cake. It just, it, it completely, completely uh, showers you with emotion and feelings. And that ending score, uh, piece of score, Now We Are Free of Gladiator, when he, spoiler, when uh, Maximus dies, it's just a classic piece of filmmaking. And anything else I say about Gladiator, people have said it many, many times before. So we can just continue and we can just uh, move forward. Gladiator, huge turning point for uh, for Ridley. And in a way, it's, it's the movie that kind of put him back as a complete A-lister filmmaker. And he is still to this day on that same level. So that's how important and influential gladiator was and still is and me as a fan of ridley of course i'm incredibly grateful for that for that movie so the next year 2001 we have two of my favorite movies in general we have black hawk down ridley scott teams up uh actually for i believe for the first time and so far only with uh jerry uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, obviously. And the same year, I believe a little bit uh, a little bit before or after, I'm just confusing uh, the dates, I believe um, uh, Black Hawk Down came after. And what I mean by after is the other movie from 2001, Hannibal. Brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant score, I would say, of two movies in the same year for Ridley. I personally really like both movies. Black Hawk Down is one of my all-time favorite war movies and just movies in general. And Hannibal is obviously, as we know, a continuation of Silence of the Lambs. When I saw it for the first time, I loved it. I loved it. But I was so shocked by the violence. Like that scene at the end with Ray Liotta and then spoiler uh, the brain-eating sequence, all of that, some of the sequences before that. It's it's a very violent, gnarly movie. But if if that is if that doesn't turn you off, because I know people who say, oh, the violence, that was just enough. I I, I couldn't handle the violence. I'll never watch that movie because of the violence. I've heard it about Blade 2, about Hannibal, and I get it. It's some people just can't take it. It's not a movie for for everyone. Same thing, honestly, for uh, Black Hawk Down. It's a very violent, uh, graphic, like graphic violence. Like it, it, it's it makes Saving Private Ryan like a PG movie. It's a very violent movie, and it shouldn't be a surprise when you look back on Ridley's filmography. He's a kind of filmmaker who's not afraid to 
push the boundaries, right? And uh, I like that. You may disagree with the use of violence. Was it necessary, unnecessary? Matter of opinion, right? I think it's necessary in, uh, in a war movie like Black Hawk Down, and I'm glad that they were able to pull it off for, for both Hannibal and Black Hawk because these are studio pictures, right? And studios are very, very picky. Like, if, if it wasn't for Jerry and Ridley working on that movie, I don't think uh, any other younger filmmaker or uh, less powerful, less influential than them would be able to pull it off. I don't think so. And I don't want to uh, spend too much time, right? Because there are quite a few other movies that I would like to mention. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 an incredible, incredible start of the new uh, millennium for Ridley. You have Gladiator in 2000, 2000, 2001, of course, Hannibal, Black Hawk. Then in 2003, I will skip to really the ones that I personally really like. So uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen him, you'll check it out. In 2003, the first of one of the biggest changes, and that's where I remember in 2003 just thinking, Ridley Scott did that movie? Like, the director of Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Hannibal, did this movie, Matchstick Men? Wow, that's a departure to say the least. And that was the first, and it shouldn't have been, honestly. <laughs> but again, uh, I was a younger buck back then, so uh, I guess I should have done a better homework. But that was the moment for me when I realized, wow, he is the kind of filmmaker that likes to take chances and really jumps from uh, from genre to genre. And you see it, even with, uh, with Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, and Hannibal. They're completely different movies. Completely, completely. So it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it's still, it still is, was a huge surprise when you see the trailer for Matchstick Men and you see the movie and you're like, wow, Ridley Scott did that? That's that's incredible, right? Now, Matchstick Men, we have Nick Cage in, in my opinion, uh, one of his best performances. Sam Rockwell, Alison Lohman, Bruce McGill, Hans Zimmer just delivering delivering another incredible score, very powerful, a movie that... There are a lot of twists and turns, let's put it that way. I don't want to spoil anything because if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Matchstick Man, trust me, just go rent it uh, online or stream it or get the Blu-ray or the DVD, whatever you decide, just make sure to see that movie because... It's a, it's a movie to remember, let's put it that way. It's a movie to remember, and I still remember when I first saw it for the first time, the twists and turns and how it ends, and it just Nick uh, Cage's performance. It's just incredible, incredible. It's one of those movies that you're kind of not sure what you're going to get. Like, oh, what is this? Like a quirky, kind of like a black, dark comedy thriller stuff? Well... It's a combination of everything. It's, um, I believe, Ted Griffin did the screenplay. Obviously, he did Ocean's Eleven, so it's just, uh, you know, the team behind the movie is really, uh, really capable. So this is peak Cage. It's, it's, it's a great performance, and Ridley took a chance. And in my opinion, it definitely paid off. Uh, I really, really like Matchstick Man. Now, in terms of performance, box office-wise... 
the budget was actually substantial. The budget of the movie was around 60 million, which when you watch the movie, you're like, oh, 60 million, really? But it doesn't matter what they use the money for. That was the budget and that's it. I believe worldwide it made around 66, 70 million, which it's not a hit. Uh, yes, it's not a quote unquote success or a blockbuster. Again, you can argue, why did they spend so much money on it? Uh, well, obviously you have talent. These are, when you see the credits of the movie, this is top-notch Hollywood. This is creme de la creme of Hollywood. So uh, I'm not surprised personally by the, the, big, the big budget. But in my opinion, a terrific movie. If you have the DVD, uh, of course, I will always push for the DVD or the Blu-ray because I'm a physical media type of guy. Uh, watch it with uh, commentary. I would say one of the things that I forgot to mention uh, so far uh, are the Ridley Scott commentaries. Not only I think he is one of the most eclectic, uh, interesting, capable filmmakers ever. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, when it comes to DVD audio commentaries. Like, such a pleasure to listen to him. Like, he's... Uh, and he could have easily said no. He could have easily said, I don't want to do these things, right? Like you have Spielberg or, or Nolan or other uh, big-time filmmakers who, for one reason or another, they don't want to do commentaries. But really, he does it. Like, the majority of his movies, most of his movies, there's, there's a commentary by him. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to him by this because it's, it's just, uh, you watch the movie, even if, you're, if the movie is not your type, not your cup of tea, as we call it, Listen to the commentary, and he is a type of, he's such an eloquent speaker, such a smart person, just a smart filmmaker, confident, and also very humble, right? That it's an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure listening to him, and uh, yes, I can talk about his commentaries for hours, but I'll stop here, and I will continue with jumping from Matchstick Man to 2005, we have, of course, Kingdom of Heaven. I would try to go, uh, not to waste your time, right, on uh, on uh, on every single movie and spending hours. Because when it comes to Ridley, I can really talk for hours. And I don't want you, the viewer, or <laughs> the listener in this case, to be bored. So, Kingdom of Heaven. Huge, huge movie. Another, another epic. And it was... It was a big deal because in 2005, Orlando Bloom was at the top of the world. He was coming off Pirates of the Caribbean. Then you have Troy. And this was really his first like major production as the absolute lead of the movie. Huge movie. It's like, an, uh, like a historical epic. So people were, were very excited about it. People were thinking... Oh, is this going to be another gladiator, right, type of success? Now, uh, in terms of success, box office success, it was not as big as Gladiator. Now, in terms of filmmaking and ambition, it's uh, it's huge. It's uh, it's quite epic. The, the cast is amazing. Edward Norton is unrecognizable, literally, because you can't really see his face. So if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But it's it's it was it was a movie that was uh, surrounded by debates, different opinions, historical debates, critic reviews, all of that. It made uh, over two hundred million on a budget of one hundred thirty million, 
which is not really a huge success. But thankfully for uh, Ridley, for the team that worked on the movie, it it did quite it, it did quite well on uh, on home video. And Ridley is the kind of filmmaker who would release different versions of his movies, right? Director's cut, extended cut. He did it for obviously, famously for Blade Runner multiple times. He did it for uh, for Kingdom of Heaven as well. So yeah, he is he is known for that. And I personally appreciate it. There are filmmakers who say, look, whatever I release in the movie theater, that's it. That's my director's cut. I don't like to tinker. Ridley is different. He would re-release re different versions of his movies. I personally like that. Uh, and because it's 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 another way to appreciate a movie with additional scenes. So you can make the decision if you like the theatrical version or the extended cut in this case. So Kingdom of Heaven, I personally like the movie. Uh, the score is by Harry Gregson Williams, which film score fans know. He uh, he was very uh, influenced. He worked with uh, with Hans Zimmer on multiple projects. So it it's a very kind of a Zimmer type of score. There's like choir. It's a very beautiful score, Kingdom of Heaven. But for whatever reason, maybe because uh, the time period that the movie was taking place in, most people were not really familiar, right? It was not as, uh, I guess, easily digestible as Gladiator. Gladiator, we know the Colosseum. We know this from history, right? Kingdom of Heaven is more niche in a way, more specific in, in a time that uh, it tells a story of a time where most people are not familiar with. Right, so maybe that's the reason why the movie did not blow up as as Gladiator. But still, in my opinion, a well-made movie and definitely a movie I will be uh, watching again in the following year, two thousand six. Here's another eclectic choice by Ridley Scott. We have a good year. We have the big, the big comeback of Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott. And it's it's it was a decision that people were very surprised by. People were like, oh my God, the big return, Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe. Well, this was a very, very, I would say, unexpected choice. It's a comedy, romance, drama, a very interesting choice, a movie that I really like, and a movie that, again, even when you see the poster, you would never guess that this is a Ridley Scott movie. It's just jumping back and forth between genres. It's it's something that when you look at the big picture, when you see a lot of other filmmakers, you don't really see a lot. You may start seeing it with like more established filmmakers as they get older. But really, from day one, when you see his filmography, it's just a bunch of eclectic choices, like really unexpected choices. And that's one of the reasons why I really, uh, really like him because he's not just doing the same thing over and over again. It may be in the same genre, but it's a different type of approach, different type of uh, of, uh, of a filmmaking effort, if it makes sense. <laughs> but this was a really one of the biggest surprises for people. Like a good year, that's the movie, really that. Russell Crowe and Ridley are doing, and in a way, it was there, I guess, uh, fighting against expectations. It's a smaller movie, even though the budget of the movie is not very small. It's like a $35 million picture. 
Now, it did not perform very well. Overall, I think it did over 40 million worldwide, which is not a huge success. I don't think they were expecting this movie to be like a huge blockbuster. It's just not the type of movie that would accomplish that. But still, they made a choice. It was a risky choice. They could have easily done like another big action movie, right? That would have been the easier choice to do. But they were clearly attracted by the story. And they wanted to do something. And I believe they did. I personally enjoy the movie. And uh, it's it's one of those movies, again, that are very under the radar, right? So it definitely, if you have a chance, check it out. You might be surprised. Yes. Now, then we have 2007. We have American Gangster. We have, again, Russell Crowe. We have Denzel. And uh, pretty, uh, it was a success, the movie. Uh, a violent movie, sure. I mean, it is called American Gangster. And an interesting uh, uh, interesting cast. When you see that cast now, there's so many faces that you're like, oh my God, I know him. He would become like uh, very famous a few years from now. So uh, I really like American Gangster. This is 2007. 2008, we have Body of Lies, DiCaprio, again, Russell Crowe. Uh, a movie that I believe deserves more appreciation more more discussion but it's a movie that came out it was still Iraq war and Afghanistan and people were kind of not maybe not interested it wasn't as clear like oh what is the what is this movie like an action movie where does it take place and I've heard from people who say oh yeah I'll watch it but then I don't really remember much of it I've heard a lot from people about this Personally, uh, I've seen the movie as well. There are some stuff that I don't remember. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the movie. But it's certainly a movie that I would uh, watch again. Yes, I'm definitely interested in it. It was it was a big movie. The budget was around 70 million. It made like uh, it made over 100, it made like 115, 16 million, which again, not a huge success. But again, this is really Scott. The next one, 2010, Robin Hood. We have, again, Russell Crowe back. Personally, I really enjoy the movie. Um, I know a lot of people have different opinions about it. Like, uh, I remember the discussions before that. Oh, is, uh, is Russell Crowe the right choice for Robin Hood and all of that? Again, this is media discussion. I leave this on the outside. Personally, I really enjoy the movie. I appreciate it. I think... Ridley did an incredible job. The DP, John Matheson, who also shot Gladiator. You have the editor, Pietro Scalia, which is like one of the best ones in the business. I think they did a good job. Oscar Isaac, I believe, plays one of the main parts. Great performance. And the movie made like over $300 million, so it was not a flop by any means. Now, two years later, 2012, we have Ridley back with a really, really incredibly, incredibly debated, <laughs> discussed movie because it was the big, the big secret, the big, uh, I guess, argument. Is he going back to the world of aliens, right? Ridley Scott, what is this? Is this like a secret sequel? What is this exactly? It doesn't matter the opinions of people. Personally, I enjoy Prometheus. Uh, he is back, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think this is his first movie with Darius Wolski as a DP. I could be wrong. I, I hope I'm not. But 
uh, here they are. And they're going to they end up shooting a couple of movies together. Obviously, a lot has a lot has been said about Prometheus. People have different opinions. Personally, again, I enjoyed it. There's uh, you're not going to hear from me, honestly. Just uh, just to give a quick overview of my opinions and my position. When I choose a movie, even from a filmmaker that I really like, I choose very carefully. So the types of movies that I watch, I'm usually very well prepared before that, right? Especially if the filmmaker is someone I really appreciate. I'm well prepared uh, as to what I'm going to see. So very rarely I would end up being disappointed. Because usually I'm like, okay, this is the DP. Okay, this is the cinematographer. Oh, the screenwriter. Oh, this is the story. Okay, the trailer. So I know exactly what to expect, right? So it doesn't mean that uh, I'm just uh, this uh, quote-unquote fanboy or a person who's just a diehard fan of someone and they like everything they do, right? No, there will be cases where there were some stuff, bits and pieces or certain movies that uh, I'm not, they're not my cup of tea, even if they're done by, a film, by filmmakers that I really like. So that's just how it is. But as I've said it before, Cinematic Ventures is a podcast for positivity, for appreciation. And it feels good when you can discuss or talk to people, talking to you, the listener. If you're listening, I assume you are a fan of Ridley Scott. So it's always nice to show appreciation. Again, we live in a very very hateful, complicated world. So it's nice to talk with positivity about certain things. So back, Prometheus. Very debated movie. Some people call it controversial because of uh, different decisions, different choices, filmmaking choices. I'm not that big of a, like a huge diehard fan of the Alien universe. I know the universe. I know the movies. But I'm more of a regular viewer. And as a regular viewer, I enjoyed it. Now, the next one, The Counselor. Now, this was another very eclectic choice. And as you can see, you can see a pattern at this point. You have Ridley doing a couple, like a big movie. Uh, then he does something completely different. And I think looking at his tra trajectory, I think Michael Bay is doing the same thing. And uh, obviously, uh, Bay is another filmmaker that I... Uh, really admire. I also grew up with a lot of his movies and you'll also see him like after a Transformers movie, he, he did Pain and Gain, which is a completely different movie, like completely different movie. So it's kind of like Ridley Scott. I think uh, Michael is following, uh, I guess, the steps of Ridley. And uh, I think that's great. Being eclectic, choosing stuff that are very, very different. I think it's always, uh, always a good choice and certainly a treat for film goers. So The Counselor, it's a very, very interesting situation. It's a $25 million movie, which when you see the cast, you're like, wow, really? So they spent like 60 on Matchstick Man and 25 on this one. And this one has Brad Pitt, Cameron Diaz, Javier Bardem, right? Like, what happened? Well, clearly this is a, this is a lot more of a passion project. So clearly people did it for not just for the paycheck. They just did it because uh, they liked the screenplay. They wanted to work with Ridley. Obviously, Brad Pitt, he is Brad Pitt because of Ridley Scott. Let's not forget, Brad was in Thelma Louise. So, I really enjoyed The Counselor. It's a very violent movie. Like, the ending, there's a specific scene, not spoiling anything. 
at the end concerning one of the main characters. And it's probably the most violent thing, graphic, gnarly thing that I've ever seen in a motion picture. It's truly, truly uh, cruel and despicable and super violent. But despite that, I... I really enjoyed the movie. I really did. Uh, I know the criticisms. It was uh, received that, oh, there's just a lot of talking. Uh, there's just too much talk, talk, talk. You have no idea what's happening. It's just too boring. Just monologues, stuff like that. People were basically uh, criticizing a lot uh, the screenplay written by Cormac McCarthy. So you have different opinions. Again, controversial movie, a smaller movie that uh, I personally like. If you haven't seen it, check it out, but be aware. It's a it's a it's a violent movie. It's a movie about violent characters. So there's a lot of uh just bad behavior, let's put it that way. But again, a choice. Certainly a choice. And I I will always respect Ridley for that, for always choosing something different. The movie actually made over $75 million worldwide, which is above the budget. Now you have the marketing and all of that, so I really don't know how successful it was. But it was not like a bomb to make like $10 million worldwide. Not at all. But certainly a controversial movie for one way or another. Then we have Exodus in 2014, which is a movie that... I'm not surprised it really did. It's in it's the kind of movie that really would do, the kind of epic movie. So you have the smaller movie and then you have the big movie that he would do. So you kind of see the pattern, right? Another movie that uh, I was actually when it when it first came out, I was not because I was not interested, but I remember I was just focused on other movies. So I didn't really pay attention to it for a while. And eventually I did see the movie and it was surprisingly, uh, surprisingly entertaining. Why surprisingly? Because I knew it was really Scott, but I always thought like, oh, what is this? Like a, like a drama, like a biblical drama? Is it going to be like the epic thing? Turns out it was the epic thing. And uh, just the, the, the filmmaking, the way that really stages the sequences, that works with the CGI, just everything, everything uh, worked. Again, I know there were different opinions, mixed reactions, audience reactions. I'm not talking about critics. I'm, I'm sure it's the same thing. But this is a movie that uh, I also appreciated and uh, I also got for uh, for myself on Blu-ray. Now, it's a, it, it was a quite an expensive movie. Now, the budget, if you go on Wikipedia, it would pretty much say between 140 and 200 million. And worldwide, it made around 270 million. So not a gladiator type of success, right? Half a billion. But certainly an effort by Ridley and the fact that he continues to do those types of movies, just being completely unstoppable in a way. Okay. What is the next one? Now, the next one was a very interesting choice. Another one that's, you could say, surprising, but not really because this is not the first space type of movie that really would do, and we have The Martian. Obviously, it's based on, uh, uh, on a pre-existing novel. And that's one of the things that I had no idea how popular that novel was. So when the movie came out, it was another one of those movies that, uh, even though I was a fan of Ridley, I did not see right away, right? I was like, 
Okay, there were other movies in 2016, like, uh, I'll check them out. So I, I think I actually saw The Martian like a year later, like 20, 2017 or something. Uh, I enjoy the movie. It's not like my favorite Ridley Scott movie, but I really appreciated the choices that he did. And I know a lot of people really enjoy the movie and it's super, super successful. I mean, the budget was 100, 100 million and made like over 600 million worldwide. Now, I'm sure it's a lot of it has to do with because people were aware of the novel, right? But still, it's a great, great accomplishment. There were a lot of movies based on novels, popular novels, and they're not they're not nearly as successful as The Martian. So, job well done by Ridley Scott. Okay, what's next? Alien Covenant in 2017 and all the money in the world. Alien Covenant, this is obviously full-blown alien movie now we know. I remember people being very cynical when the movie came out. Again, there were a lot of criticisms. For whatever reason, I'm not going to get into it. I think watching the movie, I think it was in perfect harmony of the first one. It really captured the, the terrifying feeling of the alien world, the alien universe. I think he handled the, the production really well, really. Just everything. Cinematography, uh, production design, music. It just works. I know, again, people have different opinions, but... As a regular viewer, when it comes to the Alien movies, I was satisfied. All the money in the world. Now, obviously, this is a huge discussion. It was quite controversial when it, uh, before even coming out. Obviously, because of the situation with Kevin Spacey. Now, different opinions. Some people say, oh, he should have stayed. Why did they erase him from the movie and all of that? Different opinions. I think it's another movie, another... Uh, Unexpected choice by Ridley, and I think he did a great job with the movie. It was not as big as, I guess, people were expecting maybe when, um, because of the whole media surrounding it, like uh, Spacey being replaced by Plummer, and it was all over the media, the movie. So the expectations were that the movie would kind of blow up. It would be really, really big. Turns out the box office at the end was not as huge as expected, I guess. It made like uh, close to 60 million worldwide on a budget of 50. But it's another interesting choice by Ridley. And I will always, always appreciate that with him. Because I'm sure yeah, he is a, he is such a smart filmmaker, just a smart person. He knows very well at this point, like what's it going to be, what will have more chances of succeeding and what movie would be more like a, like a niche movie, more like an adult type of movie. And this is an example. This is in 2017 when you are in the middle, uh, like the peak of the Marvel stuff, the superhero movie. So the fact that you have this type of movie coming out, which is a biographical crime thriller, right? Very grounded, focused for uh, focused on adults, for adults. So... You have to at least appreciate that. Even if you're not a fan of the movie itself, you have to appreciate the efforts that went into it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to hopefully make people appreciate a film, an effort, even a short film. It doesn't matter. But just to appreciate the effort. You can say it's not my cu uh, cup of tea, but I appreciate that in this day and age where these movies are so rare... I appreciate that they 
went in and they did it. They invested 50 million in this movie. So all the money in the world came out in 2017. Then obviously uh, we have the situation two years later with COVID. So Ridley is actually back in 2021 with two movies, The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Interesting choices again, The Last Duel. It's, um, it's a movie that I really like the cast. I think really did a very good job with the movie. Unfortunately, it's uh, you can you can say you can blame COVID, whatever it is. Unfortunately, the movie did not land box office wise. The budget was hundred million. This is just a shooting budget. God knows how much on marketing, and the movie made worldwide like thirty million, something like that, if I'm not mistaken, which is obviously not enough, but. I clearly remember uh, reading interviews uh, with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and including Ridley as well. And they said, this is after the movie came out. They said, yes, the movie did not perform at the box office as we expected, but we're still proud of it. Right. And that's really heartwarming. That's really great to see when filmmakers, artists, they stick to their creations, even if the, uh, the result was not what they expected. Result, I mean, box office result, right? Or a critical result, or whatever it is. So this was another another choice, another risk, $100 million movie, right? It was shot, I believe, during COVID. So it was very, very uh, a difficult production. Darius Wolski is doing the, uh, the DP work, another incredible cinematography, great cast, and it's a movie that Again, I think deserves uh, more recognition. The next one, following the same year, actually, it is uh, House of Gucci. And it was popular, obviously, because of the name, House of Gucci, and that you have Lady Gaga. So it's, I have some conflicting thoughts, not, not for the movie, I enjoy the movie, but for the fact as a fan of Ridley Scott that kind of, maybe it was his choice in general, that he is not front and center. He is the kind of filmmaker who deserves to be front and center, I believe, in his movies, like Christopher Nolan or James Cameron or Michael Bay are, right? Filmmakers that they are the stars, and he deserves that. As a fan of his work, I believe he deserves to be front and center. Now, he's not, he is, he is in his 80s at this point. So you can't really expect him to jump like the younger filmmakers, right? Everywhere to give tons of interviews and all of that. I get it. But that's one of the things about Ridley Scott, I think, is that he is a very influential filmmaker, right? But at the same time, he is not as big in the minds of the mainstream audience or the people, right, who watch movies, even film fans, right? He's not as big as, let's say, uh, Spielberg, when people say, when people say, talk about style, certain approach, influence. You don't really hear Ridley Scott a lot. You usually hear the usual suspects, Kubrick, Spielberg, Lucas, all of that. And that's all fine and dandy. They're great. They've accomplished as well. But I absolutely believe, and I will die on that hill, that Ridley Scott is way up there with them. There's just no question for me in terms of the influential movies that he had created. So I was a little bit bummed that uh, when House of Gucci was coming out, it was not so much about him. Like, 
most people didn't even know it was a Ridley Scott movie. They were just focused on uh, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Lady Gaga, because these are very like tabloid friendly faces. So I guess in a way that's the price you pay, right? That people saw it as this uh, uh, this movie with those faces. So there was not a lot of uh, appreciation that Ridley Scott did this. He created this. And it's interesting. The movie itself, $75 million movie, made 150. There was an interview, a recent interview uh, with uh, with Ridley, and they didn't mention that mo- those two movies are considered box office failures, The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Last Duel, yes. House of Gucci, I don't know how much of a failure it is, but again, this is the narrative. This is the narrative. We've talked about narratives before. This is the narrative of uh, certain media outlets. Once they brand something a failure, they just stick to it. How true it is, is it actually supported by facts? Well, maybe we can argue a little bit on this one. But fact of the matter is, it was not like the biggest success in the world, but it was still not a flop, House of Gucci. 150 and you have then streaming, physical media, whatever uh, revenue you can get from there. I don't think the movie will be considered like a fiasco or something like that, like a box office fiasco. And that's House of Gucci in 2021. Obviously, now we land to 2023 and Napoleon, which is, as I recorded this, at the end of November 2023, this is the last uh, currently Ridley Scott movie. Huge movie, ambitious movie. Ridley Scott is back and... I'm glad. I'm, I'm always glad that even even though some of his movies did not perform like bigly, <laughs> as a certain presidential candidate would say, or hugely at the box office, he still keeps going. There's enough goodwill. There's enough. Uh, uh, he already he already created so much that I'm so happy that studios are giving him the chance to do it over and over again, and he deserves it. He's truly a one-of-a-kind filmmaker. And what I heard, and that would be the last movie that we're going to mention today, what I heard that he's going to make, and he's currently shooting it, I think, uh, Gladiator 2. He resumed the shooting after COVID. When I heard that they're making Gladiator 2 and that he's coming back, I was honestly like, my first reaction was, even though I'm a huge fan of Ridley, I was like, do we really need it? Like, this is a... One specific story, the first movie, contained story, and it's an Oscar-winning picture. It's such an iconic picture at this point that it never really begged for a sequel, right? It could have been just the way it is. We could just leave it. But then I read an interview with Ridley, and he said, uh, he really, uh, you should go and look for it. I believe it was on Variety interview when he was doing the, the promotional tour for Napoleon. He gave some very good uh, reasons as to why he wanted to make Gladiator 2. And the cast that he assembled, you have Denzel, Denzel Washington in a Gladiator movie. That alone got me interested. So even though in the beginning I was not against it because I'm never against the movie. I know there are a lot of film fans film aficionados, even filmmakers who like would go crazy 
if someone mentions that there needs to be a sequel of this movie or that movie. There's just some people who just hate sequels in general. I'm not one of those uh, people. I know, I know what people say. The sequels are never as good as the original, with few exceptions. Terminator 2, Godfather 2. I know it all. But I still appreciate the fact that filmmakers are willing to continue and expand the universe that they created. Now, if you're a cynic, you can say, oh, they just do it for money. I don't think Ridley... Ridley is 85 years old, as we speak now, in 2023. And he's been working like nonstop in the last 10 years or so. Just incredible, incredible. Even after Tony passed away, Tony Scott, which is an, a huge tragedy, and I will have another episode specifically about Tony Scott. Ridley was just unstoppable. Really, and it still is. Just, he finished the last duel. He started prepping Napoleon, House of Gucci, Started working on Gladiator 2. The movies before that, Kingdom of Heaven, uh, Matchstick Man, Prometheus. Uh, you have Exodus, Robin Hood. Huge movies that a lot of filmmakers would take years between those movies. But not Ridley. And that's, I want to bookend, I want to finish with this. Is the one, the main reason why I appreciate Ridley Scott is... He never stops working. He is, I'm saying it again, dear listener, he is 85 years old. Most people, even artists, you would see them retiring when they're 70, right? Really, he's been working nonstop ever since 2000, which if he's 85 now in 2000, that's like 20-something years, like... It's an incredible, incredible accomplishment. And these eclectic choices that really, uh, that really did in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I really, as a fan, I really appreciate. I'm grateful to him and his team that even at that age, he continues to work. So many years after the Alien movie. And I always say it. Opinions are opinions. You can have different opinions on his movies, on his choices, whatever it is. But as a filmmaker, his choices, the types of movies that he made, it's an incredible, incredible accomplishment as far as I'm concerned. And the eclectic choices, the eclectic genres that he was doing, you have, you jump from Hannibal to Matchstick Men. You couldn't jump any further. And he did it. He still did it. He still delivered and continues to do so. So all, I'm going, all I have to say is thank you, Ridley. Thank you for all of the great movies. I, I wish you nothing but health, right? For the years to come. And hopefully, hopefully you're not thinking about retiring soon. Hopefully you're going to you're going to make us happy, the filmgoers and other filmmakers who are fans of, uh, of your films. Hopefully, you, hopefully you're going to make us happy with a couple of more incredible pictures. So that's what I wanted to do today, dear listener, with this uh, podcast. Apologies if there was a lot of blabbing. But as I mentioned before, this is, uh, this is another off-the-cuff episode. Just wanted to share my love and appreciation for Ridley Scott as a filmmaker 
And thank you for listening. I appreciate it. You can share your thoughts if there's something additional you want it to be mentioned because I can spend hours and hours on each one of the movies done by Ridley. But I wanted this one just to be like a starting point. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, maybe next time when I talk about Ridley, I will deal with with, uh, with a co-anchor, with someone to actually have a discussion with, because I would be definitely interested in hearing different opinions. I'm always welcoming different opinions or opinions from, of course, a fellow fan of Ridley Scott. So thank you for listening. If you haven't seen any of the Ridley Scott movies, any of the movies that I mentioned today, trust me. Ridley Scott is a filmmaker you can trust. You may end up saying, not my kind of movie, but you'll never say, oh, it's a sloppy made movie. It's uh, They didn't care. They didn't put any effort. Just lazy filmmaking. No, not with Ridley Scott. So go ahead. Uh, have yourself a Ridley Scott marathon if there are movies you missed by him. And next time, we will be back with another Hopefully, interesting topic for you, of course. We'll be back. Thank you so much for listening. Gabriel signing off. We'll be back with another Cinematic Ventures podcast very, very soon. I'll see you then.